Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. Well, good seeing you guys here this morning. Glad you're here. Turn to your neighbor next to you say, I am so glad I'm here. Come on. So glad I'm here. And then say, I'm so glad you're here. Especially if you're married. You better say that with a little gusto this morning. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house. It's good to be together on a, on a Sunday morning. I just want to, I, I was in the lobby this morning and I was, I was just hanging out with some folks and saying hi and shaking hands and somebody said I did this. I tilted like, I, I guess I do every once in a while when I shake hands. I kind of duck and push my head to the left. But it's, it's all an excitement, you know. And I was talking with, with, uh, with Kevin and McCarty, if you don't know Kevin. And Kevin, uh, he's a humble guy. He's over there. He's smiling at me. He's waving his hands. He's making Okay, anyway. Kevin went ahead and he, uh, he followed the Lord, the obedience of the Lord. And he went ahead and he planted an ecclesia at John Muir Hospital. And... Uh, yeah, just went ahead and started having a Bible study right there at John Muir and just was going after uh, just kingdom stuff. And, and I remember, I don't know if it was a year ago or so, he came to me and he said, there's a guy who just got healed of lung cancer. And he was in our, he was in our meeting. The lights just came on. Boom. He was in, uh, someone must have hit the light pad. Um. And so maybe the Lord is shining his light on this testimony. And so uh, he, he, was, he was in the meeting and we prayed for him. And, and uh, I guess he had tests or something and, and the Lord healed him. So this morning I was in the lobby and I was saying hi to people. And Kevin says, hey man, Tony's here. And I go, that's awesome. Who's Tony? And he's like, he's the guy that got, that got healed of lung cancer. So he pointed, he pointed me to Tony, and I walked over to Tony, because I want to verify everything. Not that I don't trust Kevin, but I want to verify everything, you know, because it's been a while. And so I walked up to Tony, and I, he and his wife were there, and he, we introduced ourselves, you know, you know introduced, whatever, you got it. So we shook hands, and, and I said, hey, I said, you were the one that was healed from lung cancer, is that right? And said, yeah, I was. And I said, I was... I was not saying that I didn't have a lot of, I mean, I have a lot of faith, but I had to ask the question, and that is, you're still like totally healed, right? And he's like, yeah, I just had a, a test recently, and I'm, I'm totally healed. And um, isn't that awesome? And so I said, is it okay if I just kind of pointed you out and had you stand up this morning as a testimony of God's goodness? And God's grace. And I sure hope he's still here because I'm looking around the room. Tony, are you still here? You and your wife still here? If that's you, just stand up, man. Come on. I just want to say, there he is. I mean, that's worthy of a shout out to Jesus. And the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what this thing's all about, right? It's more than just doctrine. It's about changed lives. 
It's about the people of God invading terrain, the enemy's camp, darkness with light, and actually releasing the justice of God in people's lives where people who are struck down with cancer are healed by the power of the living God. Come on, we can say amen to that again. And so this week, that, that, that topped it off right there because getting healed of lung cancer, I mean, anytime you see, you hear that, you see the word cancer freaks me out, just like it's a boulder that's really hard to push and move, but we're seeing more and more breakthrough and God coming in and power in healing cancer. So um, I, I just want you to receive that testimony. And if you know somebody who, is, who has cancer, I just want you to take the testimony of what God did with Tony, and I want you to apply it to the person who might be struck down with cancer now, believing that God could totally heal them. Amen? And so this, this, this uh, I think it was earlier in the week, I was on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook makes me a little older, you know, because, you know, the young people aren't on Facebook these days. They're on something else, Instagram or Slapchat or whatever. Whatever, whatever it's called, you know, I guess it's Snapchat, right? Snapchat. So I call, I always called it slap chat. So anyway, I got this, uh, I got this post from Derek and Helen and I don't know, I shared it on my Facebook page. I'm not on social media that much. I probably, I'm always told I should be more and more, but I never think of it. And it's so much hard. It's really hard to do because you're always trying to make sure it's done right, you know? And so I just never take, I don't feel like I take the right pictures. I don't feel like the pictures are perfect, you know, and put it up on social media and I'm the senior leader, blah, blah, blah. So get this, get this, uh, get this Facebook thing about Derek who had two uh, carpet cleaners over their house to clean the carpet. And what he noticed was that one of the carpet cleaners was saved and the other one was asking a bunch of questions about salvation, a bunch of questions about Jesus right there in Derek and Helen's house. And so I don't know if they were working, and, but from what I understood with the Facebook post, he was cleaning the carpet and he was talking to his coworker who was asking questions and he was sharing his faith with the coworker and the co-worker receives Jesus. I don't know if it was outside your house. Outside the house, he receives Jesus at Derek and Helen's house. And I'm telling you, there's something about an anointing that's on your house that actually people getting saved just by cleaning the carpets in your house. Amen? Isn't that awesome? So God's doing some neat things. And he's, he, he wants to continue to do these crazy things, people getting saved, people getting healed, and people getting delivered. And I know those are just reports that I've received. I know that you have reports, too, of how God is using you. And I'm, I'm thrilled. Like, I, I, I hear testimonies often now about you know, sharing their faith, people getting saved, people getting healed. I mean, it's fun to be living in the kingdom of God for such a time as this. I mean, it is, I think we're living in the greatest days of the ecclesia or the church. I think that we are, we are seeing, I mean, just, uh, I know I said it once, I got to say it again, 
George Otis, who's the transformation research guy, he's kind of like the George Barna of, of revival. And he said that he, they've recorded 1,000 moves of God in, in church history. And he says 800 of those are active right now. So that just, t- just turned to your neighbor and says, that's amazing because the word of God says, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. And I don't, want, I don't want to miss what God is doing. I don't want you to miss what God is doing. And I just want you to just reach into, we're into a season of God's grace that's being poured out in a special way. And the Bay Area is, the Bay Area, though people say it's the most unchurched, it's, the, it's ripe for revival. It's ripe for a move of God. Come on, I want you guys to get excited about that. And I just want to be right in the middle of it. And I want you to want to be right in the middle of it. And I want the testimony to stir you and provoke you to share your faith. I want the testimonies to provoke you to lay your hands on the sick because the promise is that they'll be made whole. And so we want to just continue to go after what God's doing and jump on board with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. One last thing before we get into the word, that is Wendy and I have the privilege of going to the Philippines next week. So we're excited about that. We actually leave on Tuesday and we're gone for a week. So November 7th to November 14th. And when I was in Germany, when we were in Germany and we ministered the Ecclesia message, we had someone, a leader came up to us and said, we need this message in the Philippines. Would you consider coming? And to me, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a by nature traveling guy. You know, I like, I like home. You know, and um, but we submitted that to the Lord, and and it just seemed to work out. In August and November, they had they're having a conference, four or five hundred people at this conference, and he says, well, "I want you to bring the ecclesia message to the Philippines in the state capital of Manila, of the country's capital, in Manila." And um, so we're going to leave on Tuesday. And then we'll be preaching on Friday night at the opening of the conference. We're going to have two sessions on Saturday. On, uh, we're going to be teaching on the Ecclesia, both sessions. And then the third session, we're going to go after words of knowledge. And we're going to move in the prophetic. And we're just going to have a... We're just, I just want you to, to believe with us that there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will take place in the Philippines. And that God would use us in a special way. I just want to stay yielded to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And I just want God's power to be released. And I want people's lives to change. And, and so we just want to partner with those in the Philippines. On Sunday, I'll be preaching Ecclesia in the home as the inception point of the Ecclesia. And then on Monday, we have this great opportunity of sitting down with pastors and leaders uh, and just having a just having a discussion, I guess. You know, questions and answers just... You know, just they'll throw anything at me that they want to throw at me, and hopefully I can, I can answer some of those questions. And I'm real big at if I don't know, I'll tell you. I don't know, you know. I don't try and make anything up. But it would be really amazing if, the, if as, a, as a family, you guys would just cover us in prayer. In fact, I asked our team 
at the end of the message today, if, if we could just, just stand here and just you guys can just have a few people lay hands on us and cover us as we go. And, um, and then for tra- obviously travels, traveling mercies, and, but just favor, favor. And if the Lord continues to open up these doors, I love to bring our healing teams with us. I love to bring our prophetic teams with us. I love to begin to build something as we do some of these international trips and maybe even in the, in the uh, good old United States where things aren't so far away and cost so much money but something more local, and we'll just see how the Lord opens things up. But we would just, we just would really covet your prayers as we take off and as we go. So, that's all introduction. Are you guys all right? All right, turn to Matthew 16. I want to talk to you once again about this thing that's been stirring in my heart for over two years which is the whole idea of the ecclesia. And let me tell you, I feel like we're still, we're, we're almost done building the foundation. You know, we dug a big hole and we throw some uh, rebar in there and some concrete and we're just building this foundation together. And sometimes it's worth continuing to go over every once in a while. And then we want to get into the how-to and the ecclesia in the home, you know, we have over 100 homes signed up and committed to be in ecclesias, which is outrageous as far as I'm concerned. And we are going to be starting the Lord. I felt like the Lord gave me a 10 minute download on how to do e-groups, these ecclesia groups in a whole Bay Area. It was really weird. I was in my office with my son and I have a whiteboard and I, I just got the dry erase marker and I went to it and I said, and I just started writing, and as I was writing, these concepts were coming to me, and I said, we could do this, and then we could do this, and then if we do this, we could do that, and I had it all over here. I had arrows going over like this, and I had arrows going this way, and I had a thing of California, and I had the map and all this kind of stuff, and I, I got done with it, and I said, well, what do you think about that? And he goes, you need to take a picture of that. Jordan, you got you to take a picture of that. So I think we're, I think we've, I, I feel like we got something from the Lord. You know, there's good ideas and there's God ideas. And I'll take one God idea over to over a hundred good ideas any day. And so we're, we just want God ideas and, and we just want to roll with those. So just again, keep us in your prayers as we, as we move forward. Okay. Did I tell you Matthew 16? All right, here we go. I'm just going to, I'm just going to get it to you out of the, uh, out of the passion translation. <clears throat> well, actually, let me just go to the NIV. The NIV 1984, all right? That's a big deal for me, you know? Okay, are you guys ready? <clears throat> Matthew 16 in verse uh, 18 and 19. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my... Ecclesia is the word, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. A couple weeks ago, I talked to you about our identity as his ecclesia. 
And it's really important that we recognize that we are sons and daughters of the living God, that royalty flows in our veins. It's kingdom royalty. We are connected as sons and daughters to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's really about a king, a kingdom, and a royal family. And you are here this morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior and as Lord, you are part of his royal family. You are sons and daughters of the living God. And the great news is that he's actually invited us into this place of co-laboring with him to release the kingdom of God to the nations. That we have this privilege and this honor to co-labor with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to actually see the kingdom of God come into earth. And if you are a bored Christian, then the problem is on your end and not on God's end. Because God is anything less than bored or boring. God is, his kingdom is vibe, you know, vibrant, it's alive, and he wants to partner with his people to bring the reality of his kingdom into this one. And so we stand, we, we, are, we are people who are sons and daughters and connected to the Godhead, but yet at the same time, he's commissioned us as his ecclesia. And what I want to talk to you this morning is, is why did Jesus choose the ecclesia? Why did Jesus choose the ecclesia? Before we jump in, I did, let me just establish this really quick. Because I'm his ecclesia, I go ahead and I do the works he's, he's called me to do. In other words, I don't do the works to become something. I actually, I actually am something, and as a result, I do the works. Does that make sense? Because what's really important, especially in, in church life, is that we, we feel like in order for us to become the ecclesia, we have to engage in this activity and that activity. We need to have more outreach programs. We need to have all these different things. And it becomes still church-centered and not ecclesia-centered and is actually doing to become something. While fruit's important, we actually, we actually the, the apple tree produces the apple. The apple doesn't produce the apple tree. And so, that makes sense? That was an illustration that just came to me. Anyway, kind of a weird one. So, so what I'm saying is that we are the ecclesia, and from that place of identity, we actually do. We actually step into things because of who we are. In other words, because we're the ecclesia, we're, we're not afraid to pray for the sick. Because we are the ecclesia, we share our faith. Because we are the ecclesia, we stretch out beyond the walls of a building and we actually function as Christ, as Christians in our community. That's who we are. So out of who we are, we do. That makes sense? Super important. So the question I've, I've wrestled with, and Jesus is, uh, Jesus blows my mind. Can I just say that? Jesus just blows my mind. And when I read, and right now I'm reading, I'm reading through the Gospels again, and I'm provoked. I mean, I'm reading 
I just got done with the Beatitudes, and I'm reading it in the Passion Translation, and I'm in Matthew 8, and Matthew 9, and Matthew 10. I'm just telling you, signs and wonders and miracles and people who are dead coming alive, all diseases healed. Jesus walked as the ecclesia. And so it's provoking me in a, in a way that I don't think has actually provoked me before because I'm reading it through a different lens. Or I'm reading it th- through a different paradigm. So when Jesus does stuff, <laughs> when Jesus does stuff, I mean, he rattled the cage of the religious community. I mean... He shocked them on a regular basis. He pushed, he, not only did he stretch things, he broke things. He broke paradigms that they thought that no one could possibly break and be called the son of God. So Jesus is going to actually stand before his disciples, with his disciples at the gates of Hades, And he's going to make a proclamation about who they are. And he pulls a secular word and he shoots his kingdom DNA into it. So let's just visit this ecclesia. Let me just do some history with you. And hopefully by the end of the next, oh, 10 minutes, (laughs) I told people I'd be done at 1230 today. Can you guys just say amen? Just, all right, by faith, all right. The ecclesia, <clears throat> let me just, just, do some, just do some history here. The ecclesia was formed in about 400 BC. The ecclesia was not and is not religious. Remember, Jesus did not come to bring a religion. He came to bring a government. Because it says in Isaiah 9 that the government is on his shoulders, right? That was prophesied 700 years before he came. So Jesus doesn't come to start another religion. He actually brings a kingdom with him. He actually brings a government with him. So in about 400 BC, the the Greeks were were empowered. It was the Grecian Empire. And they formed an ecclesia, which was a ruling assembly that actually governed cities. They administrated and they legislated and they influenced the city. They created and they expanded the the Grecian, if I can use that word, the, the Grecian culture through the ecclesia. Now, anyone who was... Any man that was 18 years and up, two years of military service, people who were vested in the city, these guys were part of the ecclesia. So the broader ecclesia meant an assembly of citizens duly convened. The ecclesia was a secular institution and a governmental system. What's crazy about that is that from the very foundations of the world, the Lord would give a revelation to the Greeks about forming the ecclesia. 
because 400 years later, he's going to use it and he's going to actually say, I am going to build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, I don't think that Jesus took something that the Greeks invented. I think the Greeks went ahead and invented something that God had ordained. Anyway, I don't know if you guys are catching me on that. So when the Greeks fell out of power, Rome went ahead, again, conquered Greece, and the Romans adopt the ecclesia, and the one addition that they made to the ecclesia was to make ecclesias vehicles for cultural colonization into newly acquired territories. What does that mean? That means that when the ecclesias formed, they were led, let's just say, a fleet of ships would go ahead and lead, uh, be led by an apostle, that's the word there, and they would actually go into new territory, and their responsibility was to be the ecclesia in the context of colonizing a region so that it looked like Rome. That's what it means. And so they brought their custom, they brought their culture into these new territories, and their responsibility was to make the new territory look like the territory where the empire or the emperor is. So whatever Rome looks like, the ecclesia's responsibility was to make this region that is a new founded region look like Rome. That was the job of the ecclesia. They were given authority by the king to be yeast in the dough of new territories. So the Roman ecclesias were deputized by the emperor for his will to be done. Wherever the ecclesias went. So if you looked at, we don't have time this morning, but if you ventured into Acts 19, you will see an actual ecclesia forming as a mob against Paul and his buddies. And there was a riot because Paul, people were getting saved all over Ephesus. A rich man steps up who fashioned idols for, I think, Diana, the god that was the focus there, like the eighth wonder of the world in uh, Ephesus. And because of how they were turning the cities upside down for the gospel, he was a businessman and he was losing a bunch of money. So he got his buddies together and they went ahead and they formed, the ecclesia came together and they, f- they formed actually a riot as an ecclesia. And if you study it, the word there that you see in Acts 19 is the word assembly, which is actually translated right. The only time it's translated right in the New Testament is in Acts 19. Call it assembly. But it's there as a, as a picture for you to actually, and remember the guy steps up and says, look, you can't do this. You have no legal juris, you have no legal right because there hasn't been a crime and the Romans are going to, Romans are going to come after us. They're going to, they're going to. Do some harm to us, not going to wipe them out, but we could do some harm to us because we're not, there's nothing here that validates this assembly, this ecclesia. 
The reason why I'm pointing that, that out to you is that ecclesia has actually functioned in New Testament times. Ecclesias were around for four, three, four, four hundred years. I'm just letting you know that everybody was familiar with an ecclesia. So there were three institutions. There was the temple, there was the synagogue, and there was the ecclesia. The temple, I'm, I'm talking about modern, our, our understanding today, the temple we're familiar with. We could read the Old Testament. We see how the temple was Solomon's temple. We see the, the sacrifice. We see the worship. We see all the things in the temple. It, it was where the presence of God dwelled. It was where worship was taking place. It was, you know, just read through Leviticus. And you'll understand the, the law and the temple and all this going th- all the way through the Old Testament. And as you know, it was, it was rebuilt. It was raised again. And so you have this understanding of the temple, and we have kind of an understanding of the synagogue. The synagogue is kind of a, an obscure thing. I was doing some research on it last night, and I went to some Jewish, you know, blogs and Jewish blogs. Anyway, writers, you know, and people who have like an understanding of the Jewish culture and and every one of them just said it's, it's kind of an obscure thing. Like they don't really know the origin of the synagogue. But when we read the New Testament, we see synagogues everywhere. So the best scenario I picked up, what I understood was synagogue started about 300 B.C. And it, was, it started as during the exile when the people went to when Israel, the Jews went up to Babylon and they were, they were actually enslaved there by uh, Cyrus or no, Nebuchadnezzar or what else kings. Anyway, so they started, these, they started these synagogues to actually preserve the culture. It's where the word of God was read, the law was read. It was where prayers were offered. And it was, a, it was a, an opportunity for people to connect culturally. So you have 400 years, Ecclesia. You guys still hang with me here? 400 years, BC, 400 B.C., Ecclesia. About 300 B.C., we have the synagogue. And then way back here is the temple. And these three institutions are active and alive during the days of Jesus. So in other words, when they would go into Nazareth, there would be an Ecclesia. If they were going to Capernaum, there's an ecclesia. Wherever they went, there was an ecclesia in those cities. I'm trying to tell you that they were very familiar with the ecclesia. They understood the synagogue as being religious. They understood the temple as being religious. And they understood the ecclesia as being governmental. This is why Peter didn't know none of his disciples in Matthew 16 said, what are you talking about an ecclesia? If Jesus would have used the word church, they would have said, what are you talking about? So when Jesus says, upon that statement that I'm the Christ, I'm going to build my ecclesia, I think what they thought was that he's going to take over in the flesh. That he was going to establish his kingdom. And this is, the disciples were his cabinet. 
That's why in Acts chapter 1, they said, is it now that you're going to go ahead and go ahead and take over and rule and free Israel? They still didn't get it, Acts 1. After the death, after the resurrection of Jesus, they still didn't get it. And Jesus is so patient because he says, no, no. What I want you to do is I want you to wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And you're going to receive power. Don't do anything. He didn't go into all the, you know, Jesus might have shook his head. We don't see that in scripture. But I do think that they were positioning themselves politically because of what he said in Matthew 16. Are you guys there? Just say amen or something. All right. So, why didn't Jesus say the temple? Like, he could have said, I love what Silvoso says, he says, I'll restore and surpass, the temple being, quote, I'll restore and surpass the former glory of the temple so that the heads of state of all nations will come to it just like the Queen of Sheba did. Every ruler will bow their knee and worship God here. He didn't say that. He could have used the synagogue and he could have said something like, I will build a worldwide network of synagogues to make the gospel available to every people of every nation. The problem is, is that he didn't say that. So to launch his redemptive agency, you guys still with me? Say amen here. To launch his redemptive agency, Jesus did not choose the temple I mean, just think of the rich history of the, I mean, that was the, that's where the presence of God rested. And he did not choose the synagogue, which were sprinkled all over the Roman Empire. There were hundreds of synagogues. He doesn't choose the temple nor the synagogue. Instead, he chooses to use a a Grecian Roman structure. That's not religious, but governmental. And that's, my friends, is where I just shake my head. Now, I think it's important that he kept key elements of both the temple and the synagogue in his ecclesia, meaning that the temple carried with it the indwelling spirit, worship, and prayer, and the synagogue, the central role was the scriptures, prayer, and fellowship. So he keeps those elements in his ecclesia. So why did, here's the ultimate question, or at least the question I ask. So why did Jesus choose the ecclesia in contrast to the temple and the synagogue? Well, the temple and the synagogue functioned in buildings that members had to go to on specialized occasions. Whereas the ecclesia was mobile, operating 24-7 in every sphere of society within a city for the purpose of impacting everyone. Moreover, Jesus viewed the ecclesia as an assembly of his people who had become members through conversion. He established that if two or three are gathered in his name, which is what constituted a quorum, 
which is actually the word, we get the word conventus. Everyone say that word, because that'll trip you up. Conventus actually came down from the Romans, where they said, wherever two or three Roman citizens are, there's Rome. A New Testament scholar, Sir William Ramsey, says, when a group of Roman citizens, even as small as two or three, gathered anywhere in the world, it constituted what they called a conventus, an assembly of the citizens, is a local expression of the kingdom, and any citizen new to a town qualified to be a part of it. Any wonder why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, in my name, there I am. Listen, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. It's new to us, but to the disciples, they were like, Peter's like, hey, that's a conventus, isn't it? Isn't that what the Romans do? I mean, we don't see that in scripture, but I like to put myself on those stories. Or he's like talking to, you know, he's talking to, hey, Matthew, isn't that a So by selecting the ecclesia instead of the temple or the synagogue, Jesus chose a structure better suited to succeed, not just in religious Israel, but also pagan societies. His ultimate goal, the finish line, was not to expand religious institutions or structures, but to disciple nations. I'll say this that I believe Jesus lived an ecclesia lifestyle. He left his kingdom to establish his world here. He destroyed the works of the devil. He released justice by making wrong things right from heaven's perspective. He legislated, he administrated, and he demonstrated the kingdom of God through prayer Signs and wonders and deliverance. He did not confine himself to structures. He was in homes. He was in businesses. He was in synagogues. He was in the temple. He was in the streets. He was in the fields. He was near you know, bodies of water, seas. He was, he was everywhere. He talked with Jews. He talked with Romans. He talked with Pharisees. He talked with tax collectors. He talked with prostitutes. He talked with the forgotten. He talked with the rich. He talked with the poor. He talked with the broken. He influenced every realm of culture. He prayed. He was relationally intimate with the Father. He was obedient even unto death. He sacrificed his life for the lives of others. He was not institutionalized. The only people who had a problem with Jesus were those who were institutionalized. Jesus modeled the ecclesia. Oh, Jesus, help me. He was salt. He was light. He was yeast. He was a reformer. He was the son of God. He's the Christ. 
Jesus was unstoppable. He was an ecclesia, and he is calling us not just to do church, but to be his ecclesia. His called out ones who legislate heaven, who bring his kingdom, and who lead people to himself. Who actually recognize the gates that are standing there, who will have the boldness to go ahead and contend with him in prayer, grab some of these keys that he is that he that is rightfully his, that when he he went ahead and he took from the enemy, that we have access to, I think there's millions of keys, we have access to so that we can actually go unlock these gates that the enemy is standing behind with his arms crossed because he has no keys. Notice in the Gospels, Jesus did not speak much about how to build a church. He didn't speak much about how to plant churches because he had the ecclesia in mind from the very foundations of the world. I'm here to tell you that you are the ecclesia of God. What Jesus did teach was the kingdom of God and how his world works. And friends, we cannot bring his world into this one unless we know what this one looks like. If we're talking about binding and loosing, which is part of what the ecclesia does, and it doesn't mean shouting, you know, I bind you in the name of this. That's not what it means. I bind that. You don't hear Jesus ever doing that. But if we're going to access keys, if we're going to bind and loose, if we're going to bring... If we're going to operate with the prayer of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, that on earth as it is in heaven, we better know what heaven looks like. I don't agree with the concept or the thought that, you know, you're too heavenly minded for no earthly good. That's the problem. Problem is we're not heavenly minded enough. So let me close. I promised you. See, it's so quiet in here today. These are just, it's the, it's the you guys had plenty of, you guys slept in. Can, can I just take a moment and segue a little bit? Isn't it good to get that extra hour? Come on, man. There's got to be some people in the house. You're just like, thank you, Jesus. Problem for me, because I'm an early riser, so I'm up at four today. And I'm just like in my bed, dang it. And there's Wendy. And here I am. (laughs) Anyway. So why the ecclesia? Let me just give you 12 things in rapid fire form. Number one is mobile. Wherever two or three are gathered, anywhere, there's the ecclesia. What does that mean? That means that you could be at Starbucks, you think you're drinking a, you think you're just drinking a coffee or whatever with a friend and you just start talking about Jesus, boom, there comes heaven right there. Right into Starbucks. You're at your work. You're just talking, you're communing with the Holy Spirit. There's this connection with God. I mean, 
there's, there's power. If we, can just, if we can learn to access, we have authority. If we can learn to access those keys and bring those realities into the place where we are to see people say. So it's number one, it's mobile. Number two, it's cultural. It was part of the fabric of society. Number three, it was normal. In other words, the ecclesia is a lifestyle, not an event. It's a normal part of life. It's as we go, we are. It's influential. The ecclesia had a responsibility to shift the culture. As yeast influences the dough, so the ecclesia influences culture. Listen, it doesn't take much. And I just want to break this lie that we have to have this huge thing in order for God to work. I don't see that in Scripture. I just see Jesus keep hammering. It's just a little bit of yeast in the dough. If we function as we have been created and we recognize our identity, it doesn't take much for God to use us powerfully. So when the light switch flips on, darkness is eliminated. There's no battle. When light comes on, there's no battle. Darkness leaves. There's no like, when light comes on, (laughs) anyway. It's relational. The ecclesia, it was about people being people-centered, not building-centered. Why the ecclesia? Because it's responsible. Everyone has an assignment. No consumers. Everybody's all in. Well, I just want to just, you know, listen, if you're the ecclesia, you have a responsibility. And we are going to stand before the Lord. Come on. And we got to break this thing where we just come. You know, people, like I said before, I think there's this growing thing inside of me. It's like people are just done with church the way we do it. They're not done with the kingdom. They're not done with Jesus. They're not done with signs and wonders and miracles. They're not done with any of that kind of stuff. It's just like when we gather, and it's important for us to gather, we don't gather as consumers. We gather as the ecclesia. There's purpose to our gathering. Oh, man. It's reproducible. In other words, Paul can be in Philippi and one week later leave that city with an ecclesia there. Ecclesia is produced quickly. We have an ecclesia at John Muir Hospital. Is PG running the ecclesia? No way. We have a dude who loves the islands. Who runs that? You know, Kevin, he's going to wear a flowery shirt when you see him. He just loves Jesus, to not to death, but he loves Jesus. And he's just out there just being available. And the Holy Spirit's coming. People getting healed, cancer gone. It's reformational. Ecclesias change lives, change families, and they change cities. It's moral. The kingdom moral code is the glue that holds an ecclesia together. In other words, right here, right? It's governmental. Legislating through prayer, through power, 
through service and through love. The ecclesia moves in authority. It's powerful. Signs, wonders, miracles, healing, and preaching. The last thing is it's unstoppable. I want you to get a revelation for a moment that if the Lord, if, and I really believe he's expanding the message, not, it's not just coming out through me, believe me, but, but if we can just get a greater grasp of our identity, our, our mandate identity, what would our cities look like? Instead of our people saying, I want this person saved. I got to bring him to church on Sunday. Got to have our ministry team pray for him. Why do you need to bring him to a building to have him prayed for? Just lead him to Jesus right where you're at. Well, I don't know how to do it. Just give him your testimony. Just tell him what God did for you. Start there. It doesn't have to be perfect. Well, this person needs healing. Now, I love to have our healing rooms, which is awesome to bring them to a place where the people are trained. But tell you, people need healing. Step into, put your hands on them. Believe the Holy Spirit is inside of you. It's on you. And he released the power and the anointing of God over them. Uh, My prayer is that there be a revelation and not just a revelation, but an actual, because you have to move from revelation to demonstration at some point. Because if you listen to teaching, and if I listen to teaching, and I don't do anything with it, then I become even more religious. So I have to step, I have to put some feet on what I'm hearing and what I'm studying. I have to do something with truth. I just can't retain truth. For the sake of retaining truth, I just become more of a religious man. And I don't step into the fullness of what God has for me. That's why Jesus says, look, I haven't, I haven't died yet. I haven't resurrected yet. But I'm going to send 70 out. And you are going to go ahead and lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He's a great teacher. Remember, when you read in scripture, you'll see often... It always says Jesus did and then he taught. What we do in the West is we teach so we can do. That's not how Jesus did it. He actually did it, which created a platform for him to teach into something. Okay. So it was unstoppable. That's where I wanted to end. Turning whole cities upside down for God's glory. If you don't believe me, I know I was going to say I was going to be done at 1230. I got two minutes. If you don't believe me, I just want us to be, I just want us to, I just want us to reach back and take what the enemy has stolen. That's what I really want. I want God's people to come alive again. I want God's people to step into the fullness of their calling. That's where I, that's where I, I want pastors to step into the place of their, of when God called them in the full-time ministry instead of trying to make the machine work. 
I believe he's actually releasing into the body right now a, a, a new paradigm, a, just a new wineskin. I don't even know what it looks like. But I'm saying that I just, I don't even, I just want to activate the body again. I want to validate the body again. I want to say you're all ministers of the gospel and we work along, we work side by side together. Jesus was not interested in building a church, but advancing the kingdom. He was not about building buildings, but saving and building people. The ecclesia is about an unstoppable kingdom force advancing into enemy-occupied territory and co-laboring with heaven to save and to rescue. When we see that happen, then we see the pulse of Acts, the whole book of Acts, let's just say, but the first eight chapters of Acts. How can a bunch of new converts grow in such a rapid pace where you almost have 25,000 people saved in a year and a half? You know why? Because everybody owned it as the ecclesia. In other words, oh, I got one minute. In other words, we're, we're, we're a, a, a body, we're a group, a tribe that believes for revival in the Bay Area. But I've had to sit down and count the cost. What does that mean? We don't even have, we don't have these groups, that group, this group. We need a new converse group. We need a new. So here I am thinking church paradigm. I'm not thinking ecclesia. So I have to go back to the book of Acts and say, how can a bunch of new converts, really, seriously, a bunch of new converts have 25,000 people in their church, but they're all over the city. They didn't all meet at the temple once a week at 1030. They were going crazy, in a good sense, going crazy. I shouldn't use that word. They were loving Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they just got around tables, and tables became pulpits. So here's the, here's the, the ultimate question. Do we need to gather? Yes. It's, it's an assembly duly convened. We need our morning gathering. We need Sunday. Sunday is just our cultural thing. This is it. We gather. We inspire each other. We, we love on each other. We encourage each other. A place where hope, the word of God's preached. It's all these things. It's the, it's the army gathering. Not just, I hope the music's good. Worship went a little bit long today. Are you serious? The volume here. You know, are you like, oh, I really like this. I like the, the aesthetics. You know, and I'm not saying that hopefully our buildings look good. What I'm trying to say is that this is far more. And I believe the Lord's doing something here. I, I, I wish I had time to tell you. I just, God is, God is doing some really cool things in the Bay Area. Maybe when I get back, I'll share with you what he's doing. And I, I want to say that to encourage you. I want to say it. To, you're not alone. There's, there's, 
there's, there's this thing that's growing. And you're a part of this thing that's growing. We don't know what it actually means, but it's actually releasing the body to actually do the works that Jesus has commissioned us to do, and we do it all together. So let me just close by saying this. I just want to give you permission to go out and do this stuff. I need, I think the church, if I can use that word, needs a revelation again of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Jesus does not hate the world. Jesus never said the world's going to contaminate you. Don't get near the world. He invaded the world. So, Lord, give us a fresh revelation of what this all means. And, Father, I just I come before you and I just, I just ask you, God, to somehow communicate in a way that I, in my flesh, can't. And let us understand through revelation, really, that's where it's going to come from, just like Peter got it, through revelation of who we really are. And Lord, thank you so much for, for even us doing our best with what's been communicated to us through the years, but there's something more we want to reach for. And I would just say to you this afternoon now, Ecclesia, arise. In fact, why don't you just arise now as a prophetic act? Just, just stand to your feet. And I want to take a moment. I just want to pray for you. If you just go ahead and maybe you can put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. Jordan was telling me, yeah, that he's a shoulder guy. So is this shoulder guy? I don't know if that makes sense. Shoulder guys? I'm just going to try it. I'm a hands guy. You know, every once in a while with the holding of the hands, new relationships are formed. Yeah, we move from this to an interlock like this. It's like, thank you, Jesus, you know. Okay. Enough. That's a different series. So take a moment. Just take 30 seconds because we're out of time. Just take 30 seconds and just pray that the ecclesia would arise in the person that you have your hand on. Just pray for it. This is simple prayer. This simple prayer. I feel like we're standing in a God-ordained time. I feel like the Lord is releasing revelation for such a time as this. 
And I believe that there's going to be people, many people who are going to be runners. They're going to take what's been taught, preached, however way you want to phrase it. And the Holy Spirit is going to give that revelation and put it inside of people. It's not going to be me. It's going to be the Spirit of God. It's going to, and there's going to be an explosion that takes place in you. There's going, to be, there's going to be something that takes place on the inside where you're provoked in a good way. You're provoked. And Father, I just want, I just want your bride to come into the fullness of their calling. Into the fullness of their calling. So we break these things that hold us back. Fear, feeling inadequate, feeling that we don't know enough. We just break that off of everybody in this room because we look in the book of Acts, they knew nothing. So many just shared their testimony. People get saved. God, may we be people who commune with you deeply, but who love outrageously and fearlessly. May we rule from a place of love and service. So many that are broken, so many that are hurting, so many that are strung out, so many who are looking for answers, so many, so many who are hopeless, so many who have no joy, so many, so many, and we bear the light. We bear the light. And I just want to break off of you this whole idea that you have to be perfect in order to share your faith. Like you can't have a problem in order for you to share your faith. Just break that off of you. And I just want to release you into places of freedom. And I say go, as you go, disciple and baptize nations. And the nations are right here in the Bay Area. The nations are right here in this room. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.